changes are happening thick and fast. So if we were to read the signs of the times, what do we see? And we need to do this in order to know the way that God is leading his church. One Sunday morning, um, a few weeks, months ago actually, I was listening to the Radio 4 religious broadcast. It's on uh, between 7 and 8. And there was a debate about the future of the Church of England, parishes. And I found it quite heartening to realize that they were going through the same kinds of debates as we are in the Church of Scotland. We're not alone. And it divided roughly between what you would call the fresh expressions wing of church, those who want to do new things and establish new communities of church, and the traditional side who fear that the parish system, which has been in place for centuries, is being sidelined, bypassed, or at worst, undermined. And yet the truth is we need both wings if we're going to fly. And it highlights the tension that exists whenever we try to change anything. How do you change what we like? How do you speak to those who are not here in a way that is relevant? And it's a self-perpetuating problem because those of us who are here and therefore making decisions about what we do, obviously quite like things the way they are, otherwise we wouldn't be here. And it suits us to stick with them. But for those who are not here, what do they feel? How do we solve that conundrum? And it's not an easy one to know how to resolve. But one thing I think is clear, that the institutional, traditional church does not cut the ice in our society anymore. At one time, there were many more folk going to church, sometimes out of loyalty to the institution, family ties, were with a particular congregation or building. And even if people didn't go every week, they knew that that's my church I don't go to. They identified with it to that extent. And people went for all kinds of reasons of tradition and upbringing, so when their building closed, they might well drop with it, be cut off with that branch and fall. And there was therefore much more awareness of a parish church to which there were regulars and, and more sporadic people who came now and then to keep on the roll who might break through to a deeper understanding as they listen and grow. And there were those, as I say, who identified with it but didn't come. And so our whole regeneration process in the Church of Scotland in particular was built on having parents there, baptizing their children and bringing them up and maybe keeping a percentage of them to, to fill the pews and keep things going. And that link has completely broken down. We have lost at least two generations, maybe three. So people don't join for the look of it or for the tradition. And our, our old parish patterns are creaking at the seams. It's actually not that dissimilar to early 19th century Scotland when industrialization was exploding and the old parish patterns were breaking down then. And the old kirk, parish church, was a bit slow to respond. My previous parish in Airdrie was a classic example because the parish church for Airdrie was actually up in the hinterland out in farming areas um, in New Monkland. 
And of course, as Airdrie grew with steel and coal and all these things, the parish church was totally useless because it was out of town and it was small and built for a different age. But the, parish, the old kirk was slow to move in. So the church I was in was built in 1834, about 70 years after a split away church had built across the road and established a tent mission and built a church. Now, these two came together in my time. That's one of the reasons I, was, I went there, to, to unite the two of them. So they should never have existed. But the church wasn't quick enough to see the signs of the times. And it was the other free kirks and all those that moved in more quickly. So we face that kind of searching question. Where are our contacts with people? How do we engage with folk? What kind of church are we inviting people to join? We do that by reading the signs of the times, of the society around us. And you could write a book about these things, people do. But what's beyond doubt is, as the church maybe hasn't, isn't able to fit that pattern, social structures have changed dramatically too in the last few decades. And it's so different from former generations. If you're a particular vintage, you must think, what on earth has happened from the days when I was young and things were so different? And we can wring our hands and we can regret changes, but we have to forget the ideas and the answers of yesterday fitting now. They don't. So we have to look for answers which fit today's issues. I often hear stories of my predecessors in Dunkeld and elsewhere, and uh, when you hear what they did in the patterns of ministry, say, 50, 100 years ago, if I tried those things now, I wouldn't last very long. It just wouldn't work. So what do we see happening in our society? I think one of the things we probably all recognize is people don't make commitments to groups the same as they used to to keep them going. They don't feel like joining structured institutions the way people once did to keep them going. And COVID has accelerated that. It's not just the church, ask the rural and other societies in the town and you'll find the same thing. They struggle to get office bearers and to get members. Someone slightly tongue-in-cheek wrote once that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. Whereas in church, we're more apt to say, where two or three gather together, you can bet your bottom dollar, one will be the treasurer, one the secretary, and the other one the chairman. That's the way we do it. But it doesn't inspire people. People aren't interested in structured groups so much. Look at the rise in book groups. I'm sure there are some around here as well. People go, dip in, pull out. They have temporary sets of meetings. They have no minutes. They have no office bearers. They just get together and do what they want to do. So we have a problem there when we try to sustain things in a traditional way. And maybe that's where likes of online worship suits people as a way in today. And we've certainly found that in Dunkeld to be true. I'm not passing judgment on the way people do things. It's just an observation and one that we need to understand and make sense of. 
So people maybe are not so ready to commit to institutions. And then there's the whole God thing in our society. People are apt to claim that they are spiritual, but not religious. They don't want to sign up to doc doctrines and dogmas, and they want to be free to do their own thing. And they maybe would not think of the church as a place where spiritual ideas can be explored. Because remember, it's to keep an institution going. That's what it's about. And so in our society, people don't want any absolute truth, any idea of doctrine being important. They want to be free to have their own truth. And God struggles to get a look in. Buddhism is increasingly popular, but it's non-doctrinal. It's about my journey, about me. How do I find fulfillment? Not about proclaiming truths. So I wonder how Jesus saw the idea of the church. There are one or two passages where there's a clear uh, message. It's people-based. We'll hear one of those in a moment. You are Peter, Greek word for rock, Petros. The, the rock in which Jesus will build his church. Now, if our Roman Catholic friends will forgive me, I, I don't think this is anything about the church being built on one individual, on a pope or whoever it may be, but on people like you, like Peter, people like you and me, people with a, a rock-like faith, which we hope sometimes to have. This is the bedrock of this church, ordinary men and women who respond to Jesus and give themselves in faith to following him. So it's not radical plans or in-depth programs they engaged in, but faithful discipleship. Peter, who was to write in his letter in the New Testament later on, that we are to come to the living stone of Christ and be built into a spiritual temple, his church, each one of us building blocks on the foundation of the living cornerstone in Christ. Now, there's lots of things implied in that. There's three I'd like to highlight today. One is that requires commitment. You know, at the start of that conversation that Jesus had with them, he asks the disciples, who do people say I am? Look at the signs of the times, I suppose. And they tinker around the edges. You could be Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets brought back to life. And it's all in terms of the past and the tradition to which they belong. Is it going too far to see in them the same things we see in ourselves? That we cling to what's been and what we know and, and interpret everything on the basis of that. We're thrilled to the institution. And it's Peter who comes out with the answer, because Jesus homes in on the fundamental question, not who do people say I am, but who do you say? What do you think? You are the Messiah. You are the new thing God is doing. So he takes the plunge and makes the commitment. And we know he stumbled and staggered along the way, but that fundamental commitment was there. He pins his colors to the mast. That's the rock on which the church will be founded. People who are prepared to take that plunge of faith, commit to his ways. It's not just about maintaining an institution. Of course, we need to do that. We need people to do things. 
but it's about the kingdom. And all these other things we do are geared up to working for his kingdom. Second thing it needs is prayer. Prayer which indicates dependence on the one who leads and strengthens us. It's knowing that it doesn't all depend on you or me. We might well be the rocks it's built with, but it doesn't depend on us. That we can put our hand into his for guidance and strength. And I think one of the things that alarms us about times of change is the fear. Not knowing where things might lead. Having to take a risk and maybe doing the wrong thing and disrupting what we quite liked. But we're promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next week we celebrate that in the church with Pentecost. We come to a living stone, the cornerstone. We're not just doing it ourselves. We are a building block in the hole, and he is the cornerstone. And so following on from that comes the third thing. It's about trust. You are Peter, the rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death or Hades shall never overcome it. There will be a church. Maybe not what we understand it as, maybe not the church that we belong to even, maybe not even here, it might be somewhere else in the world. God finds a way for his spirit to break through. And if we won't, then he'll find someone else who will. And it's people who commit to following Christ's way who are the real rock of the church. That's our starting point in the challenges we face. And therefore, it is about trust and knowing that underneath us is the eternal rock. And that all the changes and the things that we see happening when we are fixed on him, he is our security and our stability. The church way back in those days and at the time of Pentecost certainly faced turbulent times and difficult things and huge changes. But in trust, they went out into the world flexible and on fire and founded on the living stone. So back to that verse in First Chronicles, it's not enough to have all these great forces at their beck and call in David's battle, all the things that the passage lists, there's no point in great strength if you're going wrong. It's the wisdom from God that was essential, the ability to read the signs of the times and to know which direction Israel should go. New patterns are emerging. Some will work, some won't. We just have to accept that. And some will grow. The issue is to have the wisdom to know what way to go and the faith to go for it. Amen.